Please open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 10. God's been so good to us. I mean, those that have been with us for a number of years and you've been on this journey with us with the Lord, I mean, you stop and you just take it all in and God is so faithful. He is so good. He's lovely. Um, and he's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of new beginnings. You know, as we look back in Ezra, um, and we've come to chapter 10, we'll finish this uh, chapter here tonight, and we'll start Nehemiah. It's interesting because, as I said uh, last, well, last time I was up here on Wednesday, I said, uh, you know, Ezra sort of, I think, gets overlooked as a scribe and a priest in regards to just what kind of a man he was and what kind of character. As, I, as I've really been studying this book, um, the Lord really showed me just the, the testimony of this man's heart. Do you realize that we're going to see in chapter 10 that tonight that basically not only is he weeping, not only is he burdened because of the sin of the nation of Israel, specifically marrying, intermarrying with pagan uh, taking on pagan wives that way, um, not taking things and making them holy and set apart unto God, including individuals, people. Um, they were falling back into their flesh, into their comfort, to their lust, to all the things uh, that were in the day that actually put them into captivity to begin with. And they had come out of captivity for 70 years. They've been in this land for 30, 40 plus years. And, and what are they doing? They're right back to the it's amazing how quickly we can return to our own vomit, right? And we see it over and over again in Scripture. And yet, while all this was going on, Zerubbabel, again, I believe by the beginning of chapter 9, he's dead at this point. Zerubbabel um, is with the Lord. And so here Ezra's coming. And what, what did God, God placed this in this man's heart. He gave him such a desire that he would go to the king and ask for the provisions to go. He even said, I don't even need an escort, right? Nehemiah is going to ask for an escort. But, but Ezra didn't, and what's so striking about this is not only his heart, but the fact that he was willing to stand in the gap and be that leader. And once he stands up as a leader, it's amazing how the people come right around him. They were waiting. They were waiting for somebody to stand up and lead them. And God called this man Ezra, and he was faithful. And because he faithfully went and responded, there's this groundswell, and we're going to see Basically, what's going to you know, be akin to a repentance, and they're going to end up turning around and turning away from the pagan wives and doing all the things they shouldn't have been doing and, and getting back right in relationship with God. And it took one soul to answer the call of God. Just think about that, friends. You know, we're looking for this, you know, sometimes I think in Christianity and the church, we're looking for this magnificent big thing. And that big thing is really the enlargement of the heart that can happen in every one of his bride. Every one of his bride can be a part of the miracle and can be the miracle. And that's who Ezra was. And friends, that's who you are. So we'll bow our heads, we'll pray, and we'll begin right into chapter 10. I, I pray this is an encouragement. I know it's, he lays it down heavy and hot here. He's not mincing words on sin. But I see this as a stirring, I see this as a, an encouragement to the body of Christ even today. Father, we do thank you for your holy word, Lord. I, I do pray, God, that, uh, Lord, we get all the meat off of this bone. There is, 
so much to see. Lord, thank you for opening my eyes to so much as I, I'm studying this book again with you, and uh, we are together. And Lord, you continue to just show us more and more of your love, more and more of your truth. Lord, you show us how you make all things possible and how you don't leave your people ever stranded that way, Lord. You, Lord, you're always calling. And as long as there's a willing vessel, there'll always be a remnant. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. You're God and there is no other. Nobody can do what you do, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. Thank you, God, that you desire to call men and women, Lord, uh, as faithful servants. Thank you for your heart, Lord, after your people. May we have a complete surrendered heart for you tonight. We just pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and God's people pray. Amen, amen. If you'll get chapter 10, verse 1 with me. Now, while Ezra was praying... And while he was confessing, so certainly he's not standing in a box somewhere speaking to someone, you know, spilling his guts that way. No, there's only one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ, the God-man, okay? But he's confessing to the Lord here. He's weeping. This is costing him something in his heart. And he's bowing down before the house of God. A very large assembly of men, women, and children gather to him. From Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. What happened? Because he was faithful, because he made this 900-mile journey, a 1,000-mile journey, four months, he gets to this area. He's probably thinking, Lord, what am I doing here? Zerubbabel's been here. The temple's been rebuilt. What what am I doing here? And and he's broken because as he gets there, he finds out that this kind of sin is happening. And they're they're disobeying the word of God, the commandments of God. And so he's so broken by it. He doesn't care who sees it. He's just literally bowing before the house of God. And he's just weeping. And he's confessing. And he's praying, interceding for the people in intercessory prayer. And he says he weeps bitterly here. And come to find out he wasn't the only one. He probably thought he was the only one. We've read about the prophets that thought about, Elijah thought he was the only one, but he wasn't. Maybe you feel like you're the only one in your workplace, wherever you are, in your home. Maybe I'm the only one that is invested in the kingdom of God. Friends, there are more. There are more than we imagine that God has called and God has invested in. And it's because someone stood in the gap, Ezra was willing to do that, that all of a sudden the people come around him and they begin to weep as well because they had the same heart of brokenness. They just needed a leader. They just needed someone that was willing to invest in them and lead them. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trespassed against our God for we have taken pagan wives from the people of the land Yet there is no hope in Israel in spite of this. There's now, excuse me, I meant to say, there, now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. What just happened? Everything changed. Everything changed that day. Literally, Ezra to that point is, what am I doing here? And for the first time, Ezra begins to realize why God had him take that 900-mile journey and that 
a month or four month, excuse me, trip. It was to lead the people away from their sin, to draw the people back to God and to bring hope to a nation. One soul can do that. And how much more today when we have God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. And he says, we have become the living temple. And he lives in us, works through us, and finds great pleasure and privilege. You know, we find great privilege. He finds great pleasure in that. He says, there's hope in Israel. So what happens? He doesn't have to convince the people that what they've been doing is sin and wrong. They immediately don't even make excuses. They, they, they say, no, this was willful. We, we've done this terrible sin. And, but now, because you're here, Ezra, because you're pointing us to God, there's hope. We can repent and get right. It's time for repentance. That, that's significant. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the vice of my master and to those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Now, that's the second time we see that. If you look in chapter 9, verse 4, if you remember, we read earlier, it said here, um, Then everyone who trembled at the words of God Israel assembled to me because of the transgressions of those who carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrificed. Trembled at the word. What do you have in your, your hands here tonight? You have the word of God. There's nothing natural about this. This is supernatural. Do we come to this book, this word, with an awe, with a presence? Do we come to it with a trembling? Does it move us in such a way that we are humbled to just be in the presence of God and his word? Or has it become common, routine, something we just do as Christians? Or is there power in the word of God? I think we all know the answer here. He says, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives. It's difficult. But repentance, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. He says, tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, Ezra, right? For this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Ezra says, absolutely, go after it. Let's get after it now. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all of Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chambers of Johanan, the son of Elishab. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, continuing his fast, right? For he had mourned because of the guilt of the house from their captivity. Friends, we learned something very important here. Ezra is not going to break his fast until he sees, and this becomes action. People can talk a whole lot with their mouth and their words. 
we've read in Scripture in the Old, you know, we're still in the Old Testament, excuse me, but in some of the books in the Pentateuch about how, or even Judges, how it would say that the people, God would say, the people speak with me with their mouth, but their hearts are what? Far from me. What's Ezra understanding? He says, no, no I'm not going to stop fasting until I see the audio and video match. Till I see what's being proclaimed from the mouth and the heart are unified. They're one. There's not duplicity there. He says, not until you take action. Not until these words become action. Don't you stop praying for your prodigal. Don't you stop fasting when the Lord puts it on your heart until he tells you it's time or it's complete. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and, and that whoever would not come within three, within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated. And he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity, from the Jewish people, he's saying. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? But sometimes you need to be direct and matter of fact with sin in your life. It's not a time to sort of pepper things and just flirt with the sin and, and just, you know, appease it a little bit. Oh, we're just going to gently pull this. No, rip the Band-Aid. There's, there's no room to flirt with your sin because it will consume us if we, don't, if we don't come to the Lord with it and say, God, take, you know, repent. I take this all from me. I want nothing to do with it. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days, and it was the ninth month, so somewhere in the middle of December, right? On the 20th of our month, remember, we're in the Gregorian calendar. This is a Hebrew calendar, so I'm kind of, when it's, you know, it's somewhere in December there. And all the people sat at the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. They, certainly they were cold and what? Fearful. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you... And I mean, man, this truth, he's going to lay it down hot here. But please don't see this. This is exhortation. This, this is building them up. This is building a church up with clarity. That's what God's doing. He's building a church up with clarity. There's no compromise of truth. There's no misunderstanding. There's no negotiation or compromise in this. Look, look, at, look at how direct Ezra is on this here. You have transgressed and taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, because this is a big deal, right? This is sin. Sin's always a big deal. Make concession to the Lord God of your fathers. In other words, repent and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of this land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes. Why was Ezra sent? Because God needed a man to stand in the gap and lead his people back to him. And that was all that was missing. A man that would answer the call. Ezra answered the call. And now a nation is repenting. Don't ever be fearful to be that only person. You know, if it's at your job, wherever you are, in your home, in your community... Oh, they're, they're going to say, there goes that Jesus freak again, that Jesus lover again. So be it. Amen. So be it. Because you don't know, just like Ezra didn't know, how many people are going to stand around him and say, amen. We've been, 
We've been afraid. We've been, we, we, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how. The Lord didn't show us. We, we didn't know what to do. They may say something like that. And then you answer the call, and next thing you know, God may birth a church out of it. You have no idea what God can do. He can do anything. Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people, and it's a season for heavy rain, and we're not able to stand outside. Nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. So what is he going to do? He, the people, they're making a counter-proposal. This is a negotiation. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in the cities who have taken pagan wives, again, trying to be delicate right here, right? I mean, we want to be sensitive to this because these women, some of them, quite honestly, they might have converted to Judaism. So we can't just take a, you know, a broad brushstroke with this and say, get rid of all of these pagan wives because if they had converted to Judaism and now are a follower of God, well, then they could stay united, yoked, married. But if not, because it's complicated, this thing needs to be done with decency and order and with measure. And that's what this sort of counterproposal is about. And God does things with decency and order, doesn't he? So come at the appointed time together with the elders and the judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this manner. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashel, and Jeziah, the son of Tekavah, oppose this. Otherwise, Meshulam and Shabalite, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so. So, And Ezra the priest, with the certain heads of their father's households, were set apart for their father's households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. And by the end of the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. How long did this take? Three months. So that they could personally interview each situation and handle it with decency and order. It didn't matter that it took time. It was worthy and worth it because they wanted to handle things rightly and correctly. And so they go through and they do this for three months. They're looking at these things. And among the sons of the priests, now certainly no, just like today for pastors, were doubly judged, right? This is a graver sin here. So when we look at it, when it says the sons of the priests, that would be a com is similar to what we would think of elders today. Same thing, elders, uh, you know, there's a higher uh, calling judgment there for those things. Who have taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jezodak, and his brother, Maziah, Elias, Jerob, and Gedaliah, and they gave their promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram, of the flock at their trespass offering. They needed a greater offering due to what? To a greater sin. Also of the sons of Emer, Hananiah, Zebediah, and uh, the sons of Harim, Mashiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jahil, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pashar, Eleniah, excuse me, Messiah, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josebed, and Elisha, all of the Levites, so again, think of these as deacons, Josabed, Shemelia, Kala, the same as Kalita, Palana, Judah, and Eliezer, all the singers, so we're now including the worship team, 
Elshib and of the gatekeepers, again, the greeters and ushers are included in this, Shalom, Telum, and Uri, and all others of Israel, the sons of Parush, Ramiah, Josiah, Malachiah, Mejimen, Eleazar, Malachijah, and Benaiah, of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jalil, Abdi, Jermoth, and Eliah, of the sons of Zatu, Elaniah, Elashib, Mataniah, Jermoth, Zabad, and Aziah, of the sons of Bebai, Jehanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Eliah, of the sons of Bani, or Bani, Mashalom, Malku, Aldiah, Jashub, Shalil, and Aramath, of the sons of Paath, Moab, Adana, Chelal, Benaiah, Messiah, Messiah, excuse me, Mataniah, Bazil, Benuai, and Messiah, of the sons of Harim, Elizil, Isha, Makalah, wow, Makalajah, I sound like I'm talking in tongues right now. <laughs> Shimeiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shimon. No, I'm just reading the word of God. That's it. Of the sons of Hashem, Mataniah, Mataniah, Zabad, Elphad, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and of Shimeiah, of the sons of Beni, Madiah, Ram, Oel, Benaiah, Benaiah, Chaliah, Benaiah, Miramuth, Elishib, Mataniah, Mataniah, Jaseah, Why can't it be like Jimmy, Bobby, Gosuzi, John? Okay. Um, obviously, remove the woman's name there. Forgive me. Nathan, Adadiah, Shalmiah, uh, Mechadabiah, Shasha, Sharai, Azrael, Shalomiah, Sheremiah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph. <laughs> and just <laughs> after all that, and Joseph. <laughs> you know, it's like, and Matteo. No. Of the sons of Nebo, Jeel, Mataniah, Zebad, Zabinam, Jodiah, Joel, and Benaiah. So did you get a count there as I was going through that? I mean, I'm, I'm over here dying, you know, going through the 84 in total. Okay, 84 in total. What is that telling us? 84 in total repented. Isn't that beautiful? All these have taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. So what are the couple things we learned before we close this book? First of all, God, certainly we know God in his faithfulness. I want to get this right out there. I have no doubt that God provided for these wives. You know, that they were separated and they were more than likely returned to the families. We're not specifically towing that, told that, but custom of that time in the Middle East would have been, you would have been sent back, you would have gone back to the family in which you had been given and the dowry that was given would be repaid back. And then also what would be given, um, usually because there was no fault of their own on their part, is that the husband at that point, he would um, financially care for them for the rest of their lives even though they had been separated that way, to make sure that they were whole and not disgraced. Okay, because again, otherwise that would be a poor witness upon God as well. So I believe that happened. Um, God doesn't just, he never throws, God will never throw a woman away. God will never ever throw a woman away. He will never throw a young lady away. We continue to Nehemiah again here. Remember, this was one book um, in the original canon. It wasn't two books as we have it as Ezra and Nehemiah. It was one book. Um, you know, just when I was thinking of Ezra, it's not, he's not often thought of one of the most spiritual men in Scripture, but you look at what God did here. God used him mightily to bring repentance, didn't he? And, and restoration. And, and certainly I think it's, it's fair to say that people, we, we all can agree that we can be fickle. They found themselves right back in their sin. And 
Now, as we're going to go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to address some of it, right? It it won't take long right after this uh, reconciliation, this moment of getting right back in covenant with God. It won't take them long to uh, fall out of that again. But Nehemiah is going to address it. And it just reminds me of how long-suffering God is. He's so gracious, his mercy and love. And, um, you know, I'm praying here tonight, and I, I ask all of you to be praying with me, that God will raise up more Ezra's. Um, men of spiritual strength. That's what Ezra is. He's a man of spiritual strength. Um, a man that's willing to be used by God for whatever God's purpose is, not what that man's purpose is. Um, again, that's pretty, that's, it can be foreign today. But that, that's my heart and prayer for, for the men of this world. We, we need more Ezra's. So just as we begin in the book of Nehemiah here, um, please, just, just as a way of uh, rem- remembering or, or uh, grounding us, remember in 538 B.C., who came out of uh, the captivity? Remember, it was Zerubbabel and the 50,000, right? In 458, we read about Ezra. That starts in chapter 7. Remember of Ezra? We just read that, chapter 7 through 10. That's how that broke out, okay? Chapter 1 through 6 was about Zerubbabel in the book of Ezra. Chapter 7 through 10, we just read, was Ezra's account of what uh, basically 458 B.C. and on, okay? And then Nehemiah picks up in chapter 1, verse 1, at 445 B.C. So if you're taking notes and dates, again, we're going from 458. So some years have passed because now it's 445, and Nehemiah is about to end up on the scene here. Now, um. I believe the book of Nehemiah, as, I, as I've already read this and studied this, um, you know, this book is one of the most uh, common books taught at pastor's conferences. Uh, I, I don't say that in a mean way or spirited way. It's just a, a good book because it's about how to complete the work God calls us to. That's predominantly what the book of Nehemiah is about. And, and I, I don't, again, find a coincidence with that because we're in the middle of a building project, right? We're going to break ground in the next few weeks here, right after Christmas. And, and so now what do you do? We started it. We got to the point. Now what happens? Well, Nehemiah tells us how we complete that through obedience, right? It describes a great step of faith. And as a church, you know, we're going to study this together. I think it's going to speak to all of us. But I believe it's going to speak, especially as we're going into a new year. And what God may have for your families, for you individually in here. I I have no doubt that Nehemiah, this book is going to speak to each and every one of your hearts. I do not believe in coincidences. The Lord supernaturally brings us through the books at the timing. We're starting a new year. We have a building project. There's just a lot of what God is doing. And he's going to be setting these things in order. And it's for all of us to learn and experience. And that's why this fast coming up is going to be so important. This church fast we're going to do. Because he's going to speak to our hearts. He's going to show us individually, corporately. What his plan is for us for this year is is until he should tarry, amen? And I believe that. I believe his word is still speaking and alive today, and it speaks to his people if they have a heart and are willing to listen to what the Spirit has to say, just as he said in the book of Revelation, right? Well, if you had to look at the 
This, uh, the contemporaries of Nehemiah certainly would have been Ezra, right? Because 458, 445 BC. Um, if I had to give you another contemporary, it'd be Malachi, the prophet Malachi, the minor prophet Malachi. He'd be another contemporary um, that would be on the scene or writing to. And when we get to Malachi, we'll reference back to Nehemiah and what have you. If you have to break up this book, there's 13 chapters. It can really be broken up into two separate sections. Really, sections uh, kind of like uh, 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 Ezra, which is chapters 1 through 6. Um, this also breaks up chapters one through six, and it has to do with um, the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. So if I had to kind of say it simply, the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem, chapter one through six. Chapter seven through th 13 is all going to be about the reinstruction of God's people. So did you see how God does that? He rebuilds and then he restore and rebuilds up his people. He builds, he builds the physical infrastructure and then he builds his, his people up that way, right? Isn't that what he did with Zerubbabel? He brought Zerubbabel out in 50,000. They laid the chief cornerstone 15 years later because of disobedience. Nonetheless, they turn around and they build the temple, right? And then what happens? God sends Ezra and what does Ezra begin to bring as a scribe and a priest? The word of God to teach the people. At this point, the walls had not been rebuilt. It was all still burned down from the third um, escapade when um, Nebuchadnezzar came in to Babylon. And remember, he burned the walls, burned the streets of the city, just destroyed everything. That hasn't, that hasn't changed since um, 586 B.C., right? And we're at 445 B.C. now. And it's still destroyed. The temple's rebuilt. Certainly people have moved there. You've got probably 75 thousand people, 80,000 people there. Certainly there's infrastructure around, but the wall never got rebuilt. And, and a wall certainly stands and always has the protection. It always, protection, provision, right? None of those things have, have been rebuilt. Um, so God's going to do what he does best, and he's going to reinstruct his people and call his people out and, and set them on the right path. 